Hey, good morning, church. Welcome again to the Rock Bible Church. I'm so happy to be here worshiping with you all this morning. And I heard, uh, I heard a bass voice up here. That was great. Yeah, that was wonderful. I don't get often the chance to hear voices coming from behind me, so that was, a, that was a pleasure this morning to worship alongside you all this morning. I'm Brad Sefton. I'm the worship pastor here at The Rock. And le- guys, let me tell you, I'm really excited that you're all here this morning because you all get to see a prophecy come true. Greensburg High School, class of 2006, most likely to be a preacher. Here I am, in the flesh. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'll notice, Rachel Kress, which is now Rachel Harder, most likely to win an Oscar. I don't know. I mean, maybe. It may, it, it may come. I don't know. You never, you never know. All right. Um, no, I'm excited to be here with you this morning and uh, to close out our very first series as a church, this book of First Peter. Our goal this morning is to see what God wants us to learn together and how to apply those things to our lives. If you've been with us here at The Rock since we launched, uh, you'll remember uh, when we started this series back in August, and we've covered a lot of ground since then. Back in chapter 1, we looked at what it means to have belonging in the family of God, the living hope we inherit through Jesus, and how that should drive our obedience to Christ. And in chapters 2 and 3, we began a series within a series called Life as a Stone, where we dug deeper into what it means to live for Christ, to have a hunger for God's word, to preach the gospel to ourselves, how to honor God in our marriages, and how we are to stand up to persecution because of our faith in Jesus. Then here in the last few weeks, uh, we've gone through chapter 4 together, where we discovered Peter's encouragement to arm ourselves with the gospel and that we could rejoice in the suffering that will come because Jesus has saved us. And now, as we move into chapter 5, Peter gives a final, complete thought that is both an encouragement for leaders and a call to humility and obedience. And so we've titled today's message, Get Low, Stand Firm. But before we dig in, would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your holy scripture, and that it was given to us as a gift so that we could discern the truth, and that it would drive a deep longing in our heart to know you more. So as we study, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds so that we would see that truth. God, this morning, I ask that you'd make my words few, and that you'd make the lessons that you have for us together great. God, we thank you for your love and your son, Jesus, and we pray these things in his precious, powerful, and matchless name this morning. Amen. Church, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, in the tray in front of you or in the, in, under the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one yourselves, take that with you. Write your name in the front of it, and uh, we want that to, to be uh, our gift to you so that you have a copy of God's Word in your homes. If you're using one of those Bibles this morning, you'll find today's passage on page 955 where, you're, where you will find First Peter chapter 5. Peter opens the chapter by doing two things. First, he uses the word so, which in other translations is the word therefore. And the Holy Spirit, using every word for a purpose, places so or therefore as a binder to connect two thoughts. At the end of chapter 4, with this challenge, he gave us a challenge to entrust our souls to God while doing good for the sake of the gospel. And he connects it to this first point in, in uh, chapter 5, and that is a pressing of the leadership of the church to lead as Christ would have us lead. The second thing he does in verse 1 is to state his audience 
for the following verses, and that is the elders of the church. So here it is, verse 1 from 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. With that mindset from chapter 4, entrusting our souls to God, we find this appeal to the church leaders. The word here, elder, simply means overseer, or those who lead other Christ followers. And yes, Peter is directing this appeal to these men, but in so many other times, as in so many other times in Scripture, we can find encouragement and guidance for situations in our own lives. So while you're here this morning and you may not be the leader of a church, do you have a a team that you see at your work, uh, that you oversee, that you manage? Or how about in your own households? I'd encourage you to see if there's a lesson for you here today, but it is important to note that Peter is addressing and directing this charge to the overseers of the early church. And in the next several verses, Peter writes out four main subjects that we'll cover today that not only encourage the leaders, but also the brand new and the lifelong Christ follower. So we see the first subject in verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. Let's look back at the text together. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I'll stop there for just a moment and look at our first point today, which is overseers humbly submit to Jesus. What's really happening here in this passage is that Peter is warning the leaders against pride. He knew it would be an issue for all, and so he says it very simply. Trade obligation for willing sacrifice. Trade the temptation for personal gain, for eagerness to serve, and trade dominance for leading by example. He also points to Jesus as our chief shepherd who set the example of leadership for us. And Jesus said it about himself in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus said this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And believe me when I tell you this morning that it is a challenge to lead like Jesus. How do I, as a Christ follower, lead other followers? And tougher still, how do I live out the qualities that followers under my care find worthy of submitting to? I'm telling you that today that it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Only he can lead us back to abiding in Christ, which is the key to keeping our eyes on the eternity that's promised. But what about those people that you manage at work? Can these things be applied to the youth softball team that you coach or to the Boy Scout troop that you sponsor? How about your households? A preacher from the 1700s named Jonathan Edwards had a great quote about how we ought to lead our households. And he said this, Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church, consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. And not only should our church leadership look this way, but so should our households. And at my house, my wife has a huge part in the decisions that we make. She supports me, and I seek her uh, opinions, but that doesn't mean that I'm not leading. It just means that I'm trying to lead in humility. Certainly not perfectly. I mean, just ask her after service today, see, see what she thinks. 
But the intent is to model the leadership that Christ has called us to with humility. So the question for us to wrestle with this week and considering this is, how do I humbly lead the people under my care? Peter directs us to the very same thing in the next section when he tells us to put God in his rightful place in our hearts as Savior and as King. Let's look back at the text starting partway through verse 5 and going into verse 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The next point that we're going to look at this morning is that the right view of our purpose is to make God big and to make me small. Peter's just got done in the, in the uh, lines before encouraging and, and warning the leaders of the church about pride. And now he shifts his attention to all of us, all believers, and gives this commandment to wear humility literally as if it were a garment. But what does humility truly mean? The Greek word that Peter uses here is tapenophrosune. Say that five times fast. Okay, anybody want to try it? Tapenophrosune. Hey, don't worry, it's all Greek to me. So, Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so the, the word tapenophrosune is a combination of two shorter Greek words. The first one is tapenos, which literally means lowly in spirit or even not rising far from the ground. And the second is frain which was used interchangeably as either the mind or as parts of the heart. So when Peter uses this big word, tapenophrosune, it literally means to get your heart and your mind low to the ground. Another way to say it is to have a humble opinion of yourself or to have a deep sense of your own moral littleness. God opposes those who have a high view of themselves because he knows that there's only one person who is able to have a high view of himself, and his, his name is Jesus. And yet Jesus, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And we, as Christ followers, have the same calling, to be gentle and lowly. And Peter goes on in verse 7, carrying on the same theme of humility, that is, to make God big and to make me small by encouraging us to cast our anxieties on him because of his great care for us. And yet, we don't do it. We often choose to bathe in our own anxieties rather than take them to the God that deeply cares for us. And as a culture, we more often hear, trust the direction of your heart instead of take it to the Lord in prayer. And today, it's much more popular to seek the help of books and programs and seminars and podcasts than it is to seek the creator of the universe. But why? God cares for us. He's faithful. And he tells us that when we cast our burdens on him, that he will sustain us. Last month, my family got to take a trip up to Maine, but on the way, we decided to do one of those big bus tours of New York City. We'd never been before, and so we wanted to see the sights. We booked a lower Manhattan tour, and we saw Times Square and Wall Street and the Statue of Liberty, but what really took my breath away was the 9-11 Memorial and One World Trade Center. This, is what this, this was at the site of what folks my age and older will remember from the news as Ground Zero. 
We got our first glimpse of One World Trade coming into town the night before, but it really wasn't until we were on the boat dock getting ready to go out to the Statue of Liberty that the size of that building became a reality. The statue was actually a little farther out in Hudson Bay than what I would have imagined, but as we sailed closer and closer to Liberty Island and looked back at Lower Manhattan, the size of One World Trade wasn't nearly as impressive. Yes, bigger than all the others around it, but not nearly as impressive. Later on, we hopped off the bus at the 9-11 Memorial and walked the area of Ground Zero, and it was sobering to be there. If you've never been, I would recommend going. And the most shocking thing to me was to stand at the foot of One World Trade and just see how gigantic a building it is. 1,776 feet tall. Yes, that was on purpose. 1,776 feet tall. 104 stories 2.6 million square feet of office space. It's the largest building in the Western Hemisphere. This thing is impressive. But from the boat, it looked tiny, and all the things around us were insurmountably large. But then back at the foot of the skyscraper, this thing was huge. I mean, we couldn't even see the top of it. We couldn't even begin to imagine its full majesty. And that kind of got me thinking, isn't the same thing true with God? That when we're far from him, we let our gaze wander to the things that are around us that cause us stress and anxiety and those things that too seem insurmountable. But when we have the right view of God and when we stand close to our creator, just like being at the foot of the skyscraper, the problems of our lives begin to shrink in comparison to the vastness of the creator and the love and the mercy that he gave us through his son. Verses 6 and 7 are a calling to just that, to make ourselves small and to make God big in our view of the world. And if we can do this, then the problems of the world around us will seem to slip away. Not to be forgotten, but to be right-sized in comparison to God, who has power over all things and he has foresight of all outcomes. We just need to trust that God, who never breaks his promises, will do as he said. And while clothing ourselves with humility, we must come before the throne of God in prayer and trust that he is truly in control. And if we do that, then God promises that he will lift us up. I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but remember this concept of of trust as we get to the fourth point here in just a few minutes. But before that, Peter goes on in verses 8 and 9 to offer us another challenge. So here's the text. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So here it is, encouragement number three, followers are armed with Christ-likeness. A few weeks ago, Pastor Tony gave us um, a great description and definition of what it means to be sober-minded, and if you weren't here for that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to a message called Armed and Ready Part 2. To recap, sober-minded means to exercise exercise self-control or to be of sound mind. And in our text today, Peter tells us why. Satan is on the prowl, and as our enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you've ever been to the zoo or you've seen a lion up close, you know that Peter calling Satan a roaring lion means that he is a predator that cannot be ignored. 
Satan's number one goal is to flip God's plan for humanity on its head so that he can rule and he can reign in God's place. And as followers, if we are firm in our faith, we must be watchful for the temptation to sin. Here at The Rock, we have small groups. It's a huge part of what we do, actually, and and we feel like this is where true discipleship happens. As believers, we get to do life together, we get to study God's word together, and have accountability with one another to live out the mission of increasing in Christ-likeness. As a member of a small group, it's great to know that people truly care about me as a person and push me to be more and more like Jesus. And in fact, it's key to my development as a believer. Small groups also model what the early church was like and what Peter is talking about here in this passage. Humans were designed to live in community with one another. This is why we see other passages in the Bible like Hebrews 10 where it says not to neglect meeting together. Or in Proverbs 27, 17, saying that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And there are so many more examples, but my personal favorite picture of community is in Acts chapter 2. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The reason community is so important is that being firm in our faith is much easier when we can stand with the brotherhood that is experiencing the same kinds of troubles that we're facing. But what does suffering look like for you? In what ways do you need to resist the enemy today? In what ways could you you use encouragement from your brother or sister in Christ to withstand the situations that you're in? And while the exact application of our faith may look slightly different from one believer to another, the unity in spirit comes from the common pursuit of being more like Christ. Peter knew that this would take trust. Vulnerability in small groups can be tough and uncomfortable and emotional, but linking arms with fellow believers who will point you back to Christ and to his word is what true accountability and uncommon community look like. This brings us back to the text And to our final point today, let's look back at Scripture, verses 10 and 11. It says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's telling us here our fourth point. It's an encouragement. Our suffering will be followed by our redemption. Time and again in 1 Peter, he hits on this theme of persecution and the troubles that we'll face. But he's also quick to remind us as followers that we should be prepared. And this last section is no different. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel when Peter writes about the eternal glory that is in Christ. But we so often look to other things in our lives for purpose. Possessions, relationships, our careers, our kids. And none of these things are inherently bad, but when they sit on the throne of worship in our hearts, then we've got it backwards. Peter's telling us here that suffering will come and that only after we've suffered a little while, God will call us to that eternal glory. So why wouldn't we now set our eyes on the one who will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish us because I know so many of you in this room I've heard the stories of suffering 
Stories like when you walk into work one day and find out that your position has been eliminated. Or stories where you have to pick up your family and move to another state to follow God's calling. Or how about when the doctor gives you a different diagnosis than the one that you prayed for? These things aren't because God designed us to suffer. We live in a world of imperfection and brokenness because of our sin, but the God of all grace has made a way for us to be restored to right relationship with him. Peter closes this section with a brief word of worship. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. With this, he's saying God is eternally powerful, so let these things be so. This takes us down to the bow that sits on the gift that is the book of 1 Peter. And while it's just labeled final greetings in your Bible, I don't want to skip over this statement in verse 12. It says this, By Silvanus, a brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter says here, I'm telling you that because we know all these things are true, we must stand firm. In fact, this is the whole reason we obey. If the Bible's not true, then there's no reason to obey. But if it is true, then we have every reason to seek the Lord continually, submit to him, and we have to tell others the good news of Jesus. And isn't that our goal? Isn't that our purpose for gathering here each week? Isn't that the reason we have small groups and a kid's ministry and why we open our homes to one another? It'd be easy for us to wield authority like a weapon, but God calls us to humility, to resist temptation, to be firm in our faith, and to rely on him. So as we wrap up this book together, let's again go back to that first chapter, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and read a short passage that will be a great reminder of why it is that we're here. Would you all stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Here it is, 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, would you pray with me this morning? God of all grace, we gather to glorify you and to make disciples. So this morning, we thank you for these words of scripture. 
God, if any of these words were mine and not ordained by you, I ask that this week, Lord, that you would fix them in the minds of these people. Reveal your truth to them, God, as they worship you, as we seek you in our lives this week. God, this week as we go into Thanksgiving, we ask that those who are experiencing grief or loss or loneliness, that you would be with them, that you would lift them up as only you can. But God, above all things this morning, we humble ourselves before you because of your great love for us. God, we thank you for your abounding love and your son, Jesus Christ, and the gift that, gave, that was given on the cross for us. We pray these things in his powerful name. We love you, Lord. Amen.